Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, the climate and environment podcast that has a look at all things eco and asks, is there anything that you and I can do to help save the planet just a little bit? This week, we're actually travelling back in time to a fab conversation that Lloyd and I had with Adam Gittins from Semfree about concrete. Now, I know, I know, it's not something we ever expected to be talking about for an entire podcast either. And I'll be honest with you, we get a lot of strange PR requests in our inbox. Um, Many of them I don't think have ever listened to the podcast. But we had this one and it made me stop and think. And I thought perhaps it might make you stop and think too. Because concrete and its main ingredient, cement, is used in just immense quantities around the globe. Like wherever you are now, you can probably see some. And as with any resource that we're reliant on, it comes with its environmental considerations. So that is what we're going to have a look at today. We chatted to Adam right before Christmas. So when we get to the one good things, just know that Lloyd isn't expecting another baby. He's very happy and healthy with the one he's got. And the other reason for wanting to just interrupt normal proceedings here and jump in and catch you was actually to say a huge, massive, absolutely overwhelming mega thank you to all of you. Because last week we hit a bit of a milestone. For what it's earth reached 100,000 downloads of the podcast. And that honestly blew my mind a little bit. And I'm not, I'm not really sure how to express how it made me feel without kind of fitting that sort of cliche, trying to sound humble, but also like genuinely a bit overwhelmed by it. So I'm just going to leave it at the biggest, most massive thank you to all of you. I'm, I'm genuinely so pleased that this tiny little part of the internet has been interesting and fun and above all, hopefully useful to you all. So, so thank you so much for that. And now that that's out of the way, let's go and chat concrete. We have got a guest on, Adam Gittins. Hi, Adam. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, Very good. well. Thanks Thank you. Coming. No problem. Before we dive in, you, you have told us you've been warned already that we'd <laughs> like to do a little segment. What one good thing have you done this week? Do you want to start off, Adam? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, I, w- I was giving this a bit of thought. And uh, actually, we've made quite, I say we, my partner and I, we've, we've got a... Um, a six-month-old um, daughter and, and, and a three-year-old son. And we were a little bit alarmed by the amount of waste that we go through, specifically with, with nappies, of all things. So, And this has probably been instigated by my partner, Nikki, rather than I, but we've switched to reusable nappies just very recently. So, um, yeah, that's, that's still fairly new on me and taking some uh, getting used to. But, yeah, that's, that's, that's my little... Um, good deed this week that's brilliant i mean that how are really you finding it because lloyd is about to have a baby so you could yeah. channel all sorts of fantastic <laughs> advice help how yeah how, how? Help, help me <laughs> yeah good luck this is probably where i'll start um no it's it's um yeah again it takes a bit of getting used to but um yeah you'll be you'll be surprised how, how quickly you can you can adopt and, and to, to the change yeah we've mentioned the reusable nappies before on the podcast and we were looking to do a, an episode on raising a child sustainably in the future um what once i've got a bit more experience to, to talk about it <laughs> but yeah in in uh, swansea and i know a lot of councils in the uk you can get vouchers for reusable nappies is that right i didn't from, know that okay. from, from a lot of councils yeah you should definitely take a look um some give you hundreds some just give you like a little token but um they usually give you something so we were going to save that until we're, we're going to use disposables to start with and then come in with our reusable nappies slightly further down the line when they're out of that rapid growth stage where suddenly sure. nothing fits them anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sounds like a plan. What about you, Emma? What's your one good thing? 
Uh, absolutely nothing parenting related. Um, this week I cancelled my shameful Amazon Prime subscription and then in the comments box as to why you said that you were taking your money away from them, I said, because you're really bad for the environment. That, that, yeah, that, that's that's really brave, isn't it? Just this side of Christmas too. Yeah, so, yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah slightly regretting it. Um, but if anything, yeah. it's shown me how reliant I had become on the convenience of it all. And it's probably quite a good yeah. exercise in, in, in making me not lean on it too much. Yeah. But I think it is important yeah, to you know tell brands why you're taking your, your business yeah. away from them, whether anyone actually reads them. And, you know, I'm just a, a drop in the ocean, you know, when up against the behemoth is Amazon. But hey, that's what I've done. And I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. What about you, Christian Lloyd? versus Bezos. I like it. Oh, gosh. Could you imagine? <laughs> um, this week, uh, it's a small one, but uh, I, I ripped my lovely Finisterre jacket, which I love so much, um, like an insulated coat. Oh. And they do do, they're quite similar to Patagonia in that you can send them away for repairs and they'll put like a lovely little patch on. But I decided I would try to cut down the carbon footprint even more and just literally took it to the local Swansea market because Swansea's got a fantastic market. I've bleated on about it before. Um to a little shop to, to get repaired there instead to stitch up. That's then, cool. If that doesn't hold, then I'll send it away <laughs> for the proper repair. <laughs> hey guys, I, I ignored you first time round. Uh, can, you, can you please, <laughs> please help it? me now? Yeah. Nice. So far, so good. Nice. Okay. Well, from from coats and taking on Amazon and dealing with nappies, um, let's move on. We're, we're here to actually talk about concrete and cement today, aren't we? Sexy subject. Adam, why are we, why are we stressed about... Yeah, why are we stressed about cement? Because it's not something that we've actually looked at at all on the podcast before. I, I guess, um, well, first and foremost, it, it's, it's very abundant and, and it's consumed at such a uh, prolific rate, not just within the UK, but, but globally, partly because it's such a fantastic material. But there's a, there's a, there's a big downside and a big drawback associated with, with cement and that is, that's its carbon footprint, um, which is very significant in fact, if you look at it on a, on a global scale, cement manufacturer contributes about 8% to global CO2 emissions. So it is a big, big problem. I think I mean, it was described by The Guardian as one of the most destructive materials on earth recently, which um, I'll be very honest with you, blew my mind slightly. Because I think, especially if you grow up in kind of a town or a city, you are used to being surrounded by concrete and cement and, you know, these hard building materials. Um so you don't really think too much about it being kind of the total opposite of nature. You know, one of the reasons yeah. that we use concrete, right, is because it's really hard wearing, really hard, like very well lasting. It protects us from the elements. Um, but that is exactly what, well, it's exactly one of the reasons why it's so detrimental to nature, isn't it? If we're, you know, paving over everything. Yeah, and I, I guess because it looks, um, or it is inert in, in its nature, Joe Public probably doesn't look at it as, as a big issue. And, and I'm not here to kick concrete because it is a fantastic building material. It's exceptionally versatile. As you say, it's very durable and very good at what it does. Um, but, but there is that nasty drawback. But there are solutions out there where you can still have your concrete, but you can um, do it in a much more sustainable way. And that is exactly why we've got you on. But okay, <laughs> before we, we pick your brains about the future, let's have a look at you know the now. How... How is it made? Let's have a look at the production um, and what problems are associated with the actual production of it. Because I've read that in the production stage, that's where most of the carbon footprint associated with it comes from, right? Yeah, correct. So if, if we can just distinguish concrete with, with, with cement. So 
Concrete is made up of primarily three ingredients. You've got aggregate, both fine and coarse, um, and then you've got your, your active ingredient, which is your cement, which is essentially your, your glue, which binds everything together, and then you have water, and then a few other sort of chemical um, additions. But that, that's, that's concrete. The, the active ingredient, the cement or the binder, is, is, accounts for the majority of the CO2, up to about 90% of the CO2 associated with concrete is attributed to cement and, and, and the manufacture of that product. So where, where does that CO2 come from? So in terms of cement manufacture, you essentially dig up a load of limestone and, and other mineral additions those, those materials are then heated in a kiln to exceptionally high temperatures over 1400 degrees centigrade. Um, that then forms clinker, which is then ground into a fine powder, which is the cement that you and I know. Um, now, now, that production process obviously is very energy intensive, which, which generates a lot of CO2. And the cement industry have, have moved forward and, and made some fantastic amendments to that process to try and control the CO2 that's associated with, with the production, um, sourcing sort of clean energy to, to heat the kilns. But the, the, the biggest issue that they face, which I say they, I'm referring to the cement industry, mm. the, the biggest in, uh, issue is that the majority of the CO2 is produced by a chemical reaction when you heat um, limestone okay. and, and it's and it's referred to as a calcination process essentially so that burning of limestone releases co2 in, in into the atmosphere and there's not a great deal you can do or avoid that 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 consequence so i mean earlier you mentioned that concrete's quite durable hence why it's so prolifically used what's what's the uh, the longevity of concrete so if you go have to for example replace a building in the, however many years, because the concrete's degrading, presumably then you, you've, you're facing the same problems again of continuously replacing a building with, again, an environmentally demanding process. So, so how, how long would concrete last, for example? So it, it kind of depends on the design and, and the exposure, i.e. the environment that it's subjected to. Um, typically, concrete structures can last in excess of 60 years, I think HS2, um, the design life as a, as, a, as a baseline is 100 years. But to, to, to add in to that um, level of durability, often structures can be almost over-designed in, in a way and therefore we're consuming even more materials. So it's, 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 a, fine, it's a very fine balance. Without getting too technical, different cements or, or concretes can be designed to enhance their durability so there's there's quite a lot of work that's done in that design process to make sure the concrete is is fit for purpose for that specific application um and and it's a good point because a lot of structures are over-engineered and over-designed which you know in itself is 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 a concern in terms of sustainability if we're consuming many more materials than what is absolutely necessary then 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 that's having a big impact too so is that over-designing from a, a safety perspective normally? Yeah, and, and I get it to an extent, but when you think about it, all the way along the chain, uh, there's a there's safety margin that's built in. So the ready-mix concrete manufacturer, if, if they need to provide a concrete which meets a certain performance, 
they're most likely going to go 10, 15% beyond that to account for any, any variation um, so that they make sure they're always the right side of the line. And then whoever's designing the structure will all, always design it with plus 10, 15%. And it, and it goes right through the chain. So by the time you've actually got a finished building, it is almost certainly totally over-engineered. Um, so, so that's maybe an area that we could look at and, and they refer to it as designing for sufficiency um, and, and it's probably quite a, quite a hot topic moving forward. Designing for sufficiency, I quite like that. I've not heard that, but I like it. Um, okay, so we could have a look at how we're designing our buildings, but you mentioned also there may be other ways that we can actually engineer the cement element of it to create better things that we could be using moving forward. So what, what would some of that look like? How would we change that process? So there are different um, cements available, low carbon cements available, which are manufactured in a, in, in a different way. Um, so I work for a company called DB Group and, and we manufacture a product called Semfree, which essentially takes byproducts from other industries, most notably the steel industry. We, we use a product that, um, referred to as GGBS or ground granulated blast furnace slag. That product is then blended with uh, an alkali activator at room temperature, so there's no significant energy required for for heating, like in 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 the case of traditional cement. And the product that we can produce using those byproducts mimics to an extent the performance you can get with more traditional carbon intensive materials and, and cements. So we're we're trying to rip up the rule book slightly, and and introduce what some people refer to as novel cements. There's, there's a great deal of history and data behind these new products. So I'm, I'm a bit nervous about using the word novel, but I'll, I'll use it for today's discussion. So we, we, we and other manufacturers are introducing these novel cements to the concrete industry um, that can be used in place of traditional cement, which reduces the embodied carbon of traditional concrete by up to about 85%. Brilliant. That's quite a big stat, isn't it? That's a good headline. Yeah, it's, it's, it's significant. I mean, if you think about cement manufacture in the UK at present, totals about 12 million tonnes per year. That equates to about 9 million tonnes of CO2. Gosh. Just in the UK. And that's, for context, that's the equivalent of about 7 million vehicles. So you start to understand the size of this problem that we're, we're facing. So the acceptance and the... Um, the introduction of these new technologies is absolutely critical to decarbonise this industry. So, so, so what are the next steps to, to rolling out products like Chemfree? What, what, what do you need to do to be able to make these novel concretes uh, more universally accepted in place of the traditional methods? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a good question. And, and we, we face a lot of barriers, um, mainly because the industry is quite risk adverse some might say that's that's understandable and, and, and the pace of change is somewhat slow um, what one one of the big challenges that we face is around current codes and standards for concrete and at the moment the current code or British standard mandates a minimum cement content that's used within concrete which is a massive hurdle obviously if we're cement free we automatically fall outside of those codes and standards. Right. Mm. That that poses a big challenge if you're if you're a designer or you're um, 
a warranty provider, you're not likely to take that risk of stepping outside of, of codes and standards. So one of the biggest challenges um, that we need to take on is around what, flexing those standards to accommodate materials that do meet the required performance. They just don't have the minimum amount of cement that, that's currently um, mandated within the standard. So that, that's one big challenge. Next is around cost. Mm. A lot of sustainable materials are more expensive and, and Semfri is, is, is no different. It's ultra-low carbon concrete is more expensive than traditional concrete for, for no other reason, really, than, than economies of scale. So that, that, that's, a big, that's a big challenge for the industry. How do we encourage the change and, 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 and the move towards more sustainable materials if they're going to cost more? We've got some ideas on that, um, most notably around um, the current cost of, of cement. And I'm sure you've mentioned on your channel before carbon taxation and things like this and whether that is currently set at an appropriate level for us to meet our sort of Paris Agreement obligations. I think there's a big question mark on that. And, and, it, and, if, and if those big polluters were taxed appropriately, maybe there would be greater parity um, between these new technologies and, and the big traditional players. So talking about the Paris Agreement then, has anything changed post-COP or do you see things accelerating or changing in that industry at all? There's a greater awareness, most certainly. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting a lot of um, emails from, from a wide variety of clients that represent different sectors within the construction industry. I'd say there's almost a degree of panic, uh, but it's, it's almost good panic in a way in, in that people recognise that we're behind the curve and that we need to actually act fast and, and accelerate progress. And I think COP has had that benefit in terms of raising the awareness of, of the issue, most certainly. And I think, I think I'd be remiss not to ask if, um, I mean, obviously one of the biggest problems with this is its, is its carbon footprint. But if we are looking at how to create, well, I mean, you know, concrete is synonymous with development, right? But if we're looking to continue developing, there are other problems with using concrete and cement, not just in terms of the carbon footprint. So, you know, if we're, we're growing our cities and we're making our, you know, our cities and our urban environments really impermeable, we're not getting, you know, water runoff into nature if we're using concrete for everything that we do, um, increasing the risk of flooding. And, you know, with the climate crisis, we're getting more weather, extreme weather events, you know, so we're more likely to have flooding in our urban environments. And, you know, if we're building really intense um, concreted environments, they also trap a lot of heat in cities, don't they? A lot of air pollution. There are other problems associated with developing, continuing to use lots and lots of concrete, even if we are making the cement that picks up the concrete better. So what what are your thoughts on someone in, in that industry in terms of not just how we change the cement that we are creating, how do we create better cities, better development, kind of moving forward beyond just trying to minimise the carbon footprint? That was a very long-winded question, but I think you might have got there with me. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, well, I guess there's the, the, the principle around reusing or repurposing existing structures, and I think that needs to be emphasised. We, we're currently working with um, a very well-known 
contractor as part of an Innovate UK funded scheme to develop a system, if you like, whereby structures can be built in a certain configuration, but then at end of life be deconstructed or disassembled and then reassembled in, a, in another form. And, and that also includes the principles around off-site manufacture, which can help you sort of minimise or, or more, more appropriately design structures and, and not lead to over-engineering. So that's, that's kind of one take if, if that half answers your question, I guess, in that we need to look to reuse and repurpose what we've already got mm. and, and make improvements as opposed to demolishing and, and starting again, but also look towards sort of off-site sort of manufacture, on-site assembly as a more streamlined, efficient way forward. But I agree. So are we flat packing concrete buildings? Yeah, we're, we're, take, we're taking I, IKEA's um, <laughs> business uh, model moving trusted, forward. Trusted model and, um, and rolling it. It sounds out. genius. That's interesting. Sounds I genius. hadn't thought much about the reuse of like you said I don't I, I don't spend much of my time thinking about the end of life of buildings um, and I don't know how much the industry has designed buildings previously with end of life in mind because I mean one of the reasons we're kind of covered in concrete as a as a globe is that it was used a huge amount particularly kind of post second world war wasn't it as a as a sustainable or not as a sustainable but as a useful building material to rebuild and protect um and I don't, I don't know, maybe you know this, I don't know how much of that was thought about beyond the confines of, okay, the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Yeah, I, th- I think the, the answer to, to the question is, is that it is such a fantastic material, mm. con- concrete, re- really. It's highly versatile. The constituent materials can be accessed pretty much anywhere on the globe to, to make cement and concrete. And therefore, it's cheap, relatively speaking. So it's hard to beat. And, and you can look at, I think in COP, there was an example of uh, in Scotland where they, they did a homegrown property where essentially they harvested a purposely planted forest to build sort of residential properties and things like that. That's another model. But yeah, I agree, the, the, the concrete jungle and, and the, um, the automatic sort of decision to use concrete should be sort of just questioned. And rather than, okay, let's build this scheme, you know, what, what can we work with that's already there and can we enhance that and, and still, you know, achieve achieve our aims? In, in terms of post-life as well, I was really interested um what you were saying about reusing buildings and parts of buildings. What happens when the demolition teams go in, bring down a building? What happens to the rubble? Does any of that ever get reused or does that go to landfill? Yeah, no, typically it does get reused. Okay. Um, some of the challenges are around decoupling, if you like, steel reinforcement to the hardened concrete. A, lo- a lot of structures will get broken up, crushed, and then the materials turned into sort of road base or um, what they refer to as secondary aggregates. So you can use those recycled aggregates in the manufacture of new concrete. But sometimes it's, it's, it is hard to, to recycle certain products depending on, you know, if they've got fibers or, or steel reinforcement throughout the structure that that can be a challenge interesting i that, that's actually much more reuse than i thought for some reason I, I had a vision of it all being carted away in skips and just literally never being seen again but but i think it's it's almost about a, a, adopting a more holistic approach so that if there's one scheme in london that's currently undergoing demolition 
are we building a road close by where we can, you know, use that material yeah. as, as a sub base? You know, can we join the dots a little bit? And, and what is a waste product from one project might be a very valuable resource for another. And, and can we get those sort of efficiencies happening? Nice. Well, that's a lot of stuff on what kind of, you know, the industry can do. We always try and sometimes tenuously um, to link the end of our episodes to is there anything that individuals can do? Is there anything that individuals can do, um, you know, regarding cement and concrete? Because it feels a little bit like a another giant power that's a little bit out of our hands to help with. Yeah, and, 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 I, and I get it to an extent. I mean, if you're going down B&Q and you're putting a fence up in your back garden and there's there's a bag of cement that costs you a fiver and then there's a bag next to it that's a low carbon cement and it costs you £10, which one are you going to choose? Mm. And it is difficult. Um, I think in terms of um, what action people could take, a start would be when ordering concrete, ask the, the concrete manufacturer for the, the amount of CO2 per cubic metre just to start them to think about, well, hang on, our clients and our customers are actually asking us these questions now. Mm. Are we going to start missing out on market share if we don't try and address this this problem? So I think just asking that simple question starts starts the process. And, and then they might then in turn look at, well, well, what low carbon solutions can we offer our customers? And it will just start, start the conversation and, and hopefully it, it starts to gain more traction. We, we are definitely seeing more traction, not, not in the sort of domestic market, more in the sort of commercial space where big clients have got huge sustainability targets to, to meet and, and therefore they're, they're much more keen to adopt new technologies. I think the, the, the domestic situation will take a bit more to catch up and, and it might have to be government-led. Mm. You know, there might have to be certain incentives or, or legislation introduced to accelerate that change. We, we've seen the government talk about banning gas boilers from 2025, you know, no more diesel cars from 2030. You know, what, what if the government said every new build house has to use a low carbon concrete in the footings? Mm. If they mandated that, you could save, you know, thousands and thousands of tonnes of CO2 annually and, and put a big dent in, in the issue. They're talking about 300,000 new homes per year being built. You know, that's that's a big, big opportunity if we can introduce that kind of concept. Absolutely. I mean, so how do how does the domestic market kind of compare or measure up? Like if everybody, as you said, in the UK who was, I mean, I've done it myself. We've been literally, as you've described, we've concreted in some uh, new fence posts. We've blocked off our chimney caps because we don't use our, um, or we don't use our fires in our house. Say everyone that went into home-based B&Q and they opted for low-carbon cement, would that really would that measure up enough to be noticeable? Is that a cynical question? Abs- uh, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, f- for context then, what one tonne of Portland cement that's manufactured releases about a tonne of CO2 into the atmosphere, broadly speaking. So it's it, the, the gains that can be had are significant, even on small quantities that are used domestically. If we refer back to the analogy around 300,000 homes, we've, we've run some, some calculations and some modelling that suggests if you were to replace the concrete in the footings and the, the ground floor slab, you would save about 3.2 tonnes of CO2 per property 
which essentially equates to taking two vehicles off the road for for an entire wow. year. So yeah. that that that's the kind of impact that you can realise. Yeah. Um, but it but it does need to be probably government led, mm. particularly if it's not the cheaper option. Absolutely. Indeed. But again, it's talking about price. That's another interesting aspect. Um, I, I tend to steer the conversation away from comparing low carbon concrete to traditional concrete and more around well, what are the technologies are there and what's the cost of those to realize the same co2 benefit oh, okay i like that so if you think about electric vehicle infrastructure how much is that costing the uk taxpayer if you think about the 60 million pound fund for ground source heat pumps that's being spoken about and, and, and promised by the government that's a significant impact on the UK taxpayer. Then compare that to the cost to switch to a low carbon concrete and it's nowhere near as significant a step. So let's stop comparing against traditional bog standard concrete and let's compare the low carbon technology to other low carbon technologies and see where it sits. I like that way of framing it. Because we've got mm. to do something, right? We can't just... Absolutely. Adam, how do you... How do you get into this world? How how is what's your trajectory to suddenly become the expert that we're talking to about low carbon cement? Yeah, it's it's funny where life takes you, isn't it? So um, yeah, yeah. Did you wake up as a child and think, absolutely, construction? I'm coming for you. Do, do you know what? I I uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I yeah, my story. You know, I I ended up in Australia after a period of travel and. Um, I needed a job. I had to pay off some debt um, that I'd accrued over that year. And uh, I started working for Heidelberg Cement, of, of all companies. So I've seen it from both sides. Um, ah. uh, I then relocated to the UK, working for the same company, and realised that there was a big issue with what we were doing and um, sought a different path and, and, and found a, an SME that um, was wanting to make a difference. So... That, that's that's what led me to, to, to be where I am today. Oh, fantastic. I like that. You stared into the, the belly of the beast and thought, nah, let's, let's, let's change this. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> fantastic. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. We've learned so much and it's actually been so nice to hear about a topic which on the face of it is, is such like a, an almost inaccessible grand topic but as you said towards the end especially how much there is that individual people can do especially if you're doing your own diy projects which many of us are um all through lockdown and post i know we are in this house never ending <laughs> but uh, yeah thank you so much it's been really really insightful yeah not a problem thanks for the invitation well uh, we hope that you enjoyed that and found that as interesting as we did i really did yeah glare at concrete and next time i go to being built up my knowledge right one. of the industry oh. Well done, Lloyd. It's, well all, done, Lloyd. it's all firmly set in my mind now. <laughs> I've got no I've got no comebacks whatsoever. What's an episode team? without a good pun? Other <laughs> than to say, for more from us, you can always find us on social media, can't you? And you yes. can drop us an email at fordisethpod at gmail.com. Yep, and please keep sending in your one good things that you've been doing. We always love to see them. Well, listen, while, while we're on the topic of what our listeners have done, let's give a, a special little shout out to Mindy, who got in touch with yes, us on Mindy. Facebook this week with one of the, uh, I mean, she's, I think she's one of the most dedicated to reducing her recycling bin listeners that we've got. Um, I was that, so impressed. I, 
blew my mind, shamed us entirely. Essentially, Mindy was wondering, what the hell do I do with my plastic straws? Because they're quite small. And if you just chuck them in the recycling bin, there's no guarantee that they'll be recycled. Um, But they are technically made from the same plastics quite often that do fall under recyclable categories. So it was a very good question. It was. So she she said to us, listen, if I iron them all together and fuse them into one big amorphous number five plastic waste mass, will they take it? And we said, gosh, we don't know. That sounds like a really good question. We're not, we're not experts. Question. So just to share this, um, she went and did some more research, talked to Republic Services about recycling. And they reckoned that if you put them all in a container that was also the same plastic, so a number five plastic, and popped a lid on them, then that might work. So... That's Amazing. pretty co- fair play to you. So she cut up all of her all of her plastic straws yeah. that she melded together in in a just a, a sheet of, of plastic and has been able to, you know, play the recycling system game and try and get them through. Oh nice. yeah, absolutely fantastic. I'm really impressed. I should probably say at this point, it's probably best not to iron straws, because it's probably best not to heat up plastic like that in that, case of oh, fumes. I'm not point. a chemist, but it's probably worth bearing that in mind. Very, very good. So there you go, Mindy. There's a um, a wonderful shout out. We're super impressed by you, but also maybe think about your ironing uh, in a, in in a well ventilated sure area. Is. Well, yes. I think I think if she just pops them in the container, I don't think they needed to be fused together. I think that was the. But there we go. But there we go. What what wonderful stuff! So keep it up, guys. We absolutely love hearing all of your ideas. Yeah. If you've ironed anything together lately, then let us know. <laughs> Other than that. Um, as ever, everything we've said, discussed, thought about in, in whimsy or jest or, or anger uh, in this episode is entirely our own thoughts and opinions and not that of our respective employers. Absolutely. So don't get mad at us. Um, we will see you soon in a couple of weeks for another episode of Forward Earth. Can't wait. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you.